My name's Caleb. I'm one of the preaching pastors here. And we are uh, in the book of 1 Corinthians. And uh, I have the privilege of preaching through the first nine verses. And our series is, is called Together Pushing Forward, a study in 1 Corinthians. And so if you would, uh, open your Bibles or your apps uh, to chapter 1, verse 1. And uh, if you would stand, I will read from the Word. And I'm reading um, actually from the ESV. I think normally we're in the New Living Translation, but I did find the ESV to be helpful here. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus, and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him, in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Have you ever heard of the term calling card? Calling card. Not, not, the, not the card you used to use when you called someone like uh, uh, internationally, but... But like someone's calling card, like someone's a standout characteristic or a mark that, that makes them stand out uh, as, 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 as exceeding in, in a particular way. There was a basketball player by the name of, of Dennis Rodman back in the day. Oh, we, we know about this. Those of you who are Sonics fans, we, we went up against the Bulls in 95-96 in the championship. And Dennis Rodman was an interesting player because he was unremarkable in just about every way except for one thing, and it was his ability to grab rebounds. He was, I mean, he had tattoos and other stuff, but he, he, he was able to attack the ball and, and grab rebounds at a rate that was really higher than anyone else of his peers back in that time. And, and my dad and I used to say, you know, if it wasn't for that, he would not be in the NBA. He couldn't really shoot. He wasn't the most athletic player. He's a little awkward. But what he did know to, how to do is he knew how to grab the ball. And he used that calling card, if you will, as a means of attaining a long career in the NBA. What is your calling card? What is the mark or characteristic that distinguishes you from the crowd that, that gives you an advantage. At different times in my life, I've had different calling cards. 
When I was two, it was my Smurf mobile. When I was 10, well, until it became too childish. When it was 10, it was my spelling ability. Until I lost to a fourth grader when I was in the fifth grade. When I was 15, it was my ability to block shots in basketball until I started playing against other teams who had six foot six and six foot seven players playing my position. I could only foul them to stop them from dunking on me. What have been your calling cards? Is it your intelligence? Is it your appearance? Your speaking ability? Your ability to make money? What, what's your calling card? What, what stands out about you that sets you apart, that gives you a sense of worth or gives you a sense of value? What happens when your calling card fails you? Or what happens when someone else's calling card outshines yours? One of the key questions that I want to address this morning is, does your life and legacy depend on your calling card? And if it does, how does that change how you relate to others? And how does that change how you relate to God? The title of the message this morning is The Good Call. The Good Call. And as we get into the passage, what I want you to see is that Paul is setting the tone for how he's going to address that question. And what's really at issue is not so much the presence or absence of specific calling cards or gifts, if you will, but rather the mindset with which we approach them. In order for us to understand the mindset that Paul is after, we must understand the degree to which we depend on God. The degree to which we utterly depend on God. Not just at a point in time, but from the beginning, through the middle, and to the end. And so there's three things that I want to bring out from Paul's introduction to help us understand the, the proper mindset that we need to have when understanding how calling cards may or may not relate to our life and legacy. And those three, three, three things are as follows. Three points. Number one, in the beginning, we are called by God. Number two, in the middle, we are continued by God. And number three, in the end, we are completed by God. Three points. When I, we meet in a preaching cadre every week, and initially my, my rough draft had four points, and, and, and Bob said, I like where you're going, but can you combine the first and the second point? <laughs> and, I, and so I said, sure, Bob, I can do that. So back to three points. I tried to go all rogue, and, and it didn't work. All right. Point number one, in the beginning we are called by God. Uh, let me, so we're going to be in verses one through three, but I thought it'd be funny to imagine uh, if, Paul, if, if Paul saw his apostleship as his calling card, as, as the ability that, that made him stand out and made him feel special and gave him worth. What, what, do we, what, what would Paul write? And uh, I have a verse up here. This is the, uh, 
uh, Paul's, Paul's verse here in Scripture. Let's see. It says, uh, hey guys, it's Paul. You're lucky I had time to drop you a note. Pretty busy with being an apostle and stuff. You know the usual. Traveling around the world on speaking engagements to thousands of people. This was my in- imagination. It's the NIV, by the way, the, the not inspired version. This, this is my, my imagination of what Paul would say if he was thinking of his apostleship as his calling card, as the thing that, that gave him an ability to stand out and to be noticed and to be of worth. And now Paul was actually pretty unique. He was a standout. Of the 27 books in the New Testament, 13 of them are traditionally attributed to Paul. Of all of the apostles, he was given a special uh, calling to reach out to the Gentiles. Paul was very well educated. He was a successful serial church planner. He had lots of accolades. And so Paul was in a position where he could have very well touted his accolades and, and his importance in setting himself apart as a pretty special and important person. But how does Paul actually start his introduction? Let's look at the real verse in the Bible. Verse 1. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes. Firstly, notice that though he mentions his apostleship, it comes secondary to the source of his apostleship, namely the will of God. Secondly, his apostleship is some, isn't some sort of attribute that is meant to make Paul stand out, but rather it's pointing to another person, Jesus Christ. He is apostleship that just means it's a fancy word for sent one. He's a sent one of Jesus Christ. So the emphasis is not on Paul and his gift, but rather on the gift's use. Namely, he's a sent one of Jesus. So the highlighted person here is really Jesus Christ. He's the focus. Paul's not trying to direct the attention of his audience to him and his apostleship. He's saying, I'm an apostle of Jesus. That's first and foremost. In other words, his apostleship is not his calling card. The focus is on the call of God on his life to be an apostle. And so in the beginning, you aren't tasked with, and we aren't tasked with developing our calling or finding our calling. But rather, God's calling finds you. What do I mean by that? Let's look at Paul. Who is Paul? In his earlier life, he was an ambitious, an educated, and zealous man. And he hated the followers of Jesus. So much so that he once asked for permission from the Jewish leaders to go to a nearby city and arrest people who followed Jesus for the purposes of imprisonment and ultimately even death. He hated Christians. Paul had no desire at all to follow Jesus, 
And so he was busy building his life and legacy around a calling card that involved persecuting a specific people who followed Jesus. Paul's life and legacy was about being known for the people he hated. But in the midst of Paul's ambition, we read in Acts chapter 9 that Jesus dramatically interrupted his journey. Paul wasn't looking for Jesus. Jesus was looking for him. And he found him. And so on the road to Damascus, Jesus knocked Paul on his rear, blinded him, and told him that he had a different plan for his life. And from then on, Paul went in a different direction and began to follow Jesus. For Paul, the beginning of his true life and legacy was not his own calling card and agenda. It was the call of God. And this is true of us as well. Let me continue reading in verse 2. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I want us to pay special attention to the phrase, called to be saints together. This is addressed not just to individuals, but to the church of God in Corinth, to the, the full body of Christ. There were probably multiple sort of house churches in the city of Corinth. And he's addressing all these churches as one church in the city of Corinth. And he says, to everyone who believed and followed in Jesus. That's who the saints are. The scripture says they were sanctified in Christ Jesus, which simply means um, they were set apart. In some of your translations, you will see the, the word holy. The word holy. It's an interesting word, sometimes hard to grasp. My, uh, at our home, we have holy flatware. It's set apart. And uh, we actually got it as gifts for our wedding. And I remember when my wife Stephanie was talking about what to put on our registry, she said, there's these gold Kate Spade flatware things. And I was like, okay, let me look at them. They looked okay enough. I said, well, how much are they? She said, $80. I said, oh, is that for four settings or eight settings? She said, uh, that's for one. I said, what? <laughs> By God's grace, we got eight settings. But I don't take the gold flatware and eat eggs with them in the morning for my breakfast. They're, they're set apart for something. They're, they're the, the fancy stuff you bring out when you want to impress people. They're holy. So they, 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 they sit in a box made especially for them, and they come out when their purpose arises. I have holy knives at home, kitchen knives that are really nice. I don't go cut branches off with my kitchen knives. They're holy for a specific purpose. Silly examples, but I hope it demonstrates the idea that set-apartness, 
God has a purpose for us, his body. He's set us apart. He's made us holy. He sanctifies us, which means there's implications for how we are, ought to live our lives. They're directed to a purpose. And who sets that purpose? God, the one who set us apart. So we are sanctified in Christ Jesus. We are set apart in Christ for his purposes, called to be saints or set apart ones together. We are holy. But it starts with God's call. God calls us to be holy. God calls us to be his saints together. Now, does this mean that there's nothing for us to do? Not at all. Even in the verse I just read, it says that the saints of God are those who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's a, there's a response on our part that's required, namely to call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. But I would encourage you, for those of you who do call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, to reflect on how, how that came to be. Just think, think for a moment on your own life. How, how did it come to be that you called upon the name of the Lord Jesus? How much of it was you? How much of it was God? I think back to, to when I was a kid. My mom was, was saved when I was four years old. Interesting side story. I was born a different name. She changed it. I was born Bobby. I can tell you the story another time. Now I'm Caleb. And she changed it when she converted to Christianity, she was really not following any religion at the time. And, I, and as soon as she started following Jesus, I mean, I remember, I was young, but I remember there was a change in her. And then she began to tell us about Jesus, me and my two brothers. She told us, you know, she was super excited about it, and she was watching, you know, TBN and just soaking up. You know, there are some bad things, some good things, but bottom line, she was just excited excited about Jesus and she told us about him like that's what happens when you hear about Jesus when you meet Jesus you get excited about who he is and you tell people about him and that's what she faithfully did and I remember not very long after four or five years old just believing it like wow Jesus Jesus died for my sins. Like I, and I understood that I, I do wrong things. I do bad things. And, but, but there's someone there who's, who's paid for those sins. There's someone there who, who, would, who would give me an everlasting life even after I die. And, and I believed. And I think back, what part did I have in that? I responded for sure. I responded in faith, but... Like, I didn't orchestrate my mom getting saved. I didn't even pick who my mom was. Right? Th those circumstances were completely outside of my control. And so when I look back, what I see was not my intelligence and smartness in recognizing what my mom was teaching me. What I see is a sovereign, loving God who placed me in a situation where I could hear the gospel. 
where he could open my eyes to see in the midst of my sin the beauty of his grace. That's what I see. I see God initiating. I see God pursuing. And so I want to encourage you to think about that, that it doesn't start with us. It starts with a God who loves and pursues. In the beginning, we are called by God. But then what happens next? Let's continue with verses 4 through 7. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. What happens between when you're called by God to be his saints and when Jesus comes back what happens in the middle the answer is my second point in the middle we are continued by God not only does God start our spiritual journey but he continues it how through enriching us with his spiritual gifts it's important to know that if we have believed in Jesus, that we do have spiritual gifts. We, have, we receive from God gifts that are meant to be used for a specific purpose. These are called spiritual gifts. And so in some sense, we do have some characteristics and abilities that are uniquely for us. But the difference between these spiritual gifts and a calling card that I was speaking of early is that while a calling card is intended to make us individually stand out, spiritual gifts are given by God to individuals as part of a larger body to make his church stand out as a reflection of the glory of God. It's all about purpose. God's given us spiritual gifts not so that we can stand up and go look at me. He's given the body spiritual gifts so that the church would be a reflection of who God is. And later, we'll go into deeper uh, detail and depth about the, the use of these spiritual gifts. But in short, these spiritual gifts are meant for the body as a whole. In other words, not one person has all the spiritual gifts. Everyone has spiritual gifts. And, and, when, and later, when it says you lack nothing, it's not one individual. It's you as a whole lack so sometimes I need the spiritual gift of my brother or sister to speak into areas where I lack, but as a whole, we lack nothing. This distinction between a calling card on the one hand and a spiritual gift on the other from God is an important distinction because it shapes our mindset and posture before God and others. We can turn... We can turn God's spiritual gifts into calling cards. For example, I might want to be known as a great preacher. And while the ability to preach might truly be a gift from God, uh, I may be using it more so that I can feel special and so that I can stand out and get the accolades that come with it, so that I can feel 
worthy or valued. You might use your gift of serving from God, but you're, you're using it so that people will point out and say, wow, what a great servant you are. You're using it to get the feedback and appreciation and to feel valued. Again, you can turn God's spiritual gift into your own calling card. Why is this a problem? Because even though God called us in the beginning, we're tempted to believe that it's incumbent upon us to continue building our lives and legacy on the basis of some characteristics or attributes of ours that we believe will make us feel worthy and valuable. And if our sense of well-being and if our sense of value in life is based on how well you teach, how well you pray, how well you serve, or whatever it is you take pride in, what happens when the next person teaches better, prays harder, or serves more fervently than you? Then you're less valuable than they are. You don't stand out in comparison. This can produce envy, bitterness, one-upsmanship, and ultimately sows the seeds for disunity. Or what happens when, when sickness and health rob you of something that you were once good at and took pride in? You can be, des- you can be devastated if that's where you place all of your hope in. And honestly, that scares me. Like, I wouldn't want to be debilitated. Like, I want to be effective. I want to be useful. I want to have good gifts. But the question is, am I building my life based on my own efforts and abilities? Or is God doing it? If it's me, if it's only up to me, how will I measure up? How will I ever be good enough? And if it's up to us to build our own life and legacy, what about those who seem to, at least on the surface, be less gifted? I have a good friend named Ross. And God has given me the privilege of having known him. He loves the Lord and he desperately wants to serve God and to be useful for the kingdom. Every year he tells me how he's going to get his degree and serve the Lord with his degree. I think he's been in school like eight to ten years. And he keeps going, and I love him for that. And Ross is, Ross is not as gifted. He's not gifted as I think much of the world would define giftedness. He, he's had cerebral palsy. He was born with that. He walks with an uneven gait. His speech is impaired so that At best, I might understand 60 to 70% of what he would say. And if it's on the phone, it's even less than that. The other week at our community group, Ross, um, we were just going through through a study in John. We've been going through that for a while. And Ross comes every now and then. And I remember him ministering to us. He he was talking about how how God had, had delivered him from anxiety. And he was referencing some scriptures and just talking about how I, I placed these fears on God and now he's, 
freed me. And I don't know how many times he's spoken up in the midst of Bible study. It's just brought something to bear in a way that I was amazed. Like, wow, that's really wise. That's really helpful. And I don't know why I'm amazed. I think it's my own sin that causes the amazement. Because at some level, I'm just looking at the surface of things and not understanding that my expectation should be on the fact that he's a son of God. That he's filled with the very same spirit that fills me. And so it should be no surprise that he says something that's, that's impactful and that's full of wisdom because he, he's also full of the spirit and full of God's grace. And I need his help as much as he needs mine. I think God was bringing that correction to my mind as I was praying through this. I was thinking, you know, I struggle with this too. This idea of being being unduly captivated by our outward appearance or giftings. If the building of our lives and legacies depends on you, me, or Ross, then success is a tenuous luck of the draw at best, and at worst, a futile attempt at trying to grasp the wind. Our gifts never measure up if our focus is on comparison. But if it's God who not only initiates his calling, but then also continues the sustainment of his people then there's hope. Because when we fail, when we're not as good as the next person, or we're not as talented as we hope we would be, or when our speech is unclear, God has promised that we would not lack any spiritual gift. Peter says, I think the same thing in this way. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. When we begin to understand that God not only begins our spiritual lives by calling us to himself, but that he also continues our spiritual walk and journey through life by supplying our spiritual needs, then we will begin to have a mindset and a posture of humility. Because we recognize that everything we have is not ours to begin with. It begins with God, and God bestows it. And so our posture is not one of entitlement, but it's one of gratitude and thankfulness for what God has given. It's a posture of humility. And, And then we can begin to see gifts in other people as not threats, but as blessings from God for the greater body, for us too. We're not building our lives and legacy on the foundation of our own gifts and abilities. Like God didn't initially hand us a baton and then go tell us to run with it. Like God didn't give us a two-week orientation and let us loose to figure it out. God is intimately involved every step of the way from start to the middle 
to the finish in our spiritual journey. And that leads us to our last point. God has chosen not only to call, but to continue. Not only to start, but to sustain. And in the end, God, in the end, we are completed by God. In the end, we are completed by God. Verses 7 through 9. So that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. God will sustain us how long? To the end. And, and the end is this idea when, when, when Jesus comes back. So we're in this in-between period. So God called us. God came. He's called us. Now we're in this middle part where we wait and we expect Jesus to come again. And we're given spiritual gifts for the edification of the body, for the glor- glorification of God and the uh, reflection of his body throughout the world. And then Jesus is coming back. And so how do we get from where we are now to the point where Jesus is coming back? Paul says it's God who sustains us until the end. Until the revealing of the Lord Jesus Christ. And at that point, our position before God, Paul says, is guiltless. or blameless in some other translations, you'll see. That's an interesting word, guiltless. What is guilt? Guilt is a couple of things. And I think we, I think we tend to emphasize one aspect of guilt. Guilt is, 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 is doing the things you shouldn't do. Right? You stole, you lied, you lusted in your heart, you're guilty. It's true. That is one aspect. But guilt is also not just things that you commit, it's things that you omit. Things that you ought to be doing that you aren't doing. Opportunities for love or loving someone that you've missed out on or that you've intentionally ignored and chosen to uh, selfishly spend your time. Sin and guilt is not just about things of, of, of doing commission, but it's things of omission as well. And so there's this wholeness to guilt that, that we are culpable or responsible for not living our lives the way that God had purposed or intended them to live. And if we're honest with, our, with ourselves, we, we understand that we're guilty. Like, that's not a hard thing, that, that we understand that we've made mistakes. We understand that there's things we've done that we shouldn't do. We understand that, that there's things we should have done that we didn't do. And yet, God says that at the end, our place before God is guiltless. 
How can that be? How can we not be guilty of the things we've committed and the things we've omitted? And I don't want to be too quick to rush to the Sunday school answer of it's Jesus. It is Jesus. That is the answer. But I don't want us to gloss over the fact of how great a cost it was for God. That Jesus, who was the only one who was sinless, the only one who was perfect, the only one who was in and of himself truly guiltless, God sent him to take our place. God sent him to bear the weight of our guilt. Even, I think of the story of the thief on the cross who had lived his whole life not following God. And at the last moment, says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus' reply wasn't, you didn't work hard for it, hard enough for it. Jesus' reply wasn't, I don't think you had enough time to really demonstrate you were good enough. Jesus' reply wasn't, go and do a good work first, and let, let me see if you can prove it. Jesus' reply was, surely today you will be with me in paradise. And it was only on account of his faith. He trusted in Jesus. That somehow, some way, Jesus would make things right. And that somehow, some way, was what Jesus did on that very day on the cross. That in his dying, in his death, he placed upon himself our sin, our rebellion, our murderous hearts, our adulterous hearts, all of our sin on Jesus. God made a way for us so that when we stand in the presence of God, we are truly guilty, uh, guiltless. We are truly blameless because when God sees us, he sees us in Jesus. If we call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. What is our response? First and foremost, it's to repent and believe. Repent of your self-reliance. Repent of your pride. Repent of your envy. Turn away from these things. Acknowledge their shortcomings. And turn towards God who has blessed you, has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Trust in God for your value, for your self-worth. Trust in God for your acceptance, your worthiness. Believe that even when you fail, even when you come up short, that God has never failed, that he's never come up short. Reflect on the utter Christ, utterly Christocentric worldview that, that Paul is articulating. I was going through this verse and or this passage, and there's just so much in here. So I would encourage you, don't just listen to the sermon, but go in and read it and meditate and pray through it. And Paul is just oozing with, with Christ-centered gospel. 
we're founded by Christ. We're continued by Christ. We're completed by Christ if you've called upon the name of the Lord. If you haven't called upon the name of the Lord, consider making that call. You might have other calls to make, but consider prioritizing this call. And if, if you've already called upon the name of the Lord, continue to do so in recognition in recognition that sorry that that we we continually need him not just not just in our hard moments but in every moment not just today but tomorrow call upon the name of the Lord Jesus with God he doesn't screen his calls i know me i screen my calls i look first nah Nah, I'll wait later. Like God doesn't screen his calls. He's like there's no there's no auto reply that he's out of office. Jesus says his father is always working. And so is he. God is always available for us. Eager to generously give us all things we need to build lives and legacies that at the end of days will be called guiltless and blameless because of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you have chosen to reveal yourself to us and Despite uh, how often we try to run and flee, Lord, you, uh, you chase after us. I thank you, Lord, for those, uh, those whom have called upon your name. And I pray for those who have not, Lord, that you would open our eyes to see your beauty in ways that we haven't seen it before. Father, uh, not only we pray that you would convict us of sin, but that you would uh, give us hope. And joy in the midst of knowing, Lord, that you have paid for us and that you have made a way for us to be with you eternally, Lord. Help us to understand our gifts, that you, the gifts that you've given us, to have a posture of humility and to see uh, how beautiful it is when we are using your gifts for um, the blessing of each other and, and those outside of the church. Uh, Father, I ask that you would reveal to us um, areas where we haven't followed you in the way we ought, Lord, and we haven't trusted you in the way we ought, areas where we've been too self-reliant, Lord, would you uh, cause our heart to, to truly repent and turn away and, and run towards you, knowing, Lord, that you, um, you welcome us back, Lord. you are uh, excited to hear from your children, so I pray that we would not be afraid of going to you, Lord, but that we would understand uh, that you are a loving Father and you want us to be with you. Father, I thank you for your word and pray that you would bless us this morning. In Jesus' name.